what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey listeners, just so you know, this episode contains some swearing and some open conversations about sex. They were like, so can you do this? And I was like, we're doing it right now, aren't we? They assume we don't masturbate, that we don't get horny. We absolutely do. Some of the most creative people sexually are people with disabilities. Kind of because you have to. Sex intro take two. (laughs) You know how it's awkward when your parents give you the sex talk? So I think it's even more awkward, if you put yourself in my shoes, to be talking voluntarily about sex on a podcast with your friend's dad. It's awkward for you? I think it is way more awkward for me. Okay, so when I say put yourself in my shoes, I mean put yourself in Harv's shoes. Fair enough. (laughs) The question we're breaking down this episode is, can you have sex? Which gets asked to people with physical disabilities. We're going to be breaking it down with experts on sex and disability. So it's time to talk about sex. Okay, Elena, calm down. (laughs) Calm down. People are curious, and that's great. But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask. Or at least, not like that. I'm Harvinder Vadva. I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And this is Inappropriate Questions. Let's get inappropriate. Today in studio with us, we have Andrew Gerza. He is a disability awareness consultant and a crippled content creator. He hosts the podcast Disability After Dark, which shines a bright light on sex and disability. He's also a fan of 80s and 90s pop and Netflix marathons. And he's here to help us break down the question, can you have sex? Hi. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. So nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So first off, we always like to start with a story from our guests. So can you tell us about a time someone asked you, can you have sex? Well, I get asked it a lot in the work I do because I work specifically in sex and disability. So I get asked all the time. But one of my most least favorite times was when I was actually having sex with somebody. They were like, so can you do this? And I was like, we're doing it right now. Aren't we? Whoa. Also times, like times in clubs or times when I'm just trying to like live my day. Hey, so like, can you have sex? Or how do you have sex? Which is really another coded way of saying you can't, right? Like asking, like, can you? I remember I went on a date with somebody a couple years ago, a blind date with somebody, and I invited him over to my house, and it it was a queer hookup situations. We weren't going to date. We were going to mess around and then he would leave. So he comes to my house and he goes, so where's your nurse? And I went, pardon me? And he goes, so so where's your nurse? Do you have a nurse that helps you? And I was like, no, I'm okay. Like I have people that assist me when I need them to, but no, I don't have a nurse. And so like I couldn't, I had to like tell him, I was like, I don't think we should hang out right now because... The questions just got worse and worse. Like, so where's your nurse? Do you shower yourself? Are you clean? Like, all these horribly offensive questions. 
So, like, I just was like, okay, so I don't want to do this anymore. Like, thanks. Gosh, that's so awkward and awful. It was, yeah. So, I get it in many different ways very often. On the flip side, do you have an example of an experience that went very well? Okay. Um, I was with somebody recently, and we were... How blue can I get in the fuck out? Carb's like, tell me about your hot sex. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm okay. (laughs) Please, please. Um, I'll say it, and then you can cut it if you want. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So I was with somebody recently, and we were doing things with each other, and they actively were like, (laughs) they were like, yeah, Cripple, yeah, do it. And I just thought it was, I, I just laughed and thought it was hilarious. And we really bonded over that and I you know I have lovers that I, I have them they will call me cripple in, during the act and I think it's such a term of endearment for me because it's like okay you, you you see me now you see how all of this plays into my life and you are honoring my experience by using the language that I'm choosing for myself it doesn't happen very often because people are people are afraid to, to engage in sexuality with me so when I do when I am with somebody, like I have to, to train them how to be sexual with me or intimate or any of that stuff. So when I get somebody who understands what I like and is using language that I have asked them to in a, in a sensual context, I'm like, yes, it's, it's amazing because I feel really, I feel validated as a person that way um, and as a disabled person especially. So Andrew, is there certain language that you prefer in terms of disability? I really am very, I play with my disability. Like, I call myself a queer cripple. I I call myself a gimp. I'm wearing a sweater right now that says gimp on it. Um, I play with all that stuff. What is gimp? <laughs> gimp is a colloquial term that means, like, like, sick or lame or unable to do something. Or it's basically a pejorative term for disability. So I know that, and I play with that. Like, I have a hat that says disabled daddy on it. Like, I play... I play with all of these things because for me it's funny. When I'm with somebody, when I'm with a a friend or a lover or somebody that I'm hanging out with, I make them call me a cripple. Like I make them, and it makes them super uncomfortable. But I say to them, no, this is how you're going to address me because I want you to see that this is part of my identity. I was talking to a friend of mine about this last time, and person first language is like, you are a person with a disability. You are a person with color. Why do we need to why why do we need to remind people that people of difference are people first? The fact that we're doing that's insulting. Shouldn't we just know that as as like organisms in the world? Shouldn't we just know that we're people already? I don't connect with that language. I connect with disabled or queer cripple or crippling. Those are the words that I've chosen for myself. But again, that's my own personal like decision to use that. For sure. Don't run down the street and start yelling, hey, cripples, like, what's the note? Like, don't do that. Um, but if somebody else with a disability said, hey, I prefer you call me differently abled or you call me this, I would have to respect that because that's their choice. You talk a lot in your work about the assumption that people with disabilities don't have a sex drive. Yeah. Why do you think... Where do these assumptions come from? Like, how do people learn these assumptions? They're passed down through hundreds, hun- thousands of years of ableism, really. People being taught that the disabled body is not desirable, the disabled body is deviant, the disabled body is wrong, and the disabled body is problematic. Being taught this through 
people in power is saying, like, the medical community especially, saying, like, oh, if you have a disability, we need to fix you. Or, oh, if you're disabled, this should happen. And so all that stuff gets passed down and ingrained. And also, I think just culturally, anyone who is, quote, unquote, different from, from the majority is treated with this, like, oh, my goodness, we don't know how to handle you, so we're not going to talk to you, so we're going to just stare at you and move away. And, I mean, I have been guilty of, of the same thing in different contexts, so I think it's just culturally we're, we don't want to be inappropriate. We just don't know what to say. You're giving me an idea for our new visual component for this podcast, inappropriate stares. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm so down for that. I can, I can mimic one for you later. <laughs> so, Andrew, what is it about sex and disability that interests you? It's it's still your thing. It has been your thing for quite a while now. And your podcast has so many episodes. What is it about sex and disability? It will always be taboo. Every single talk I do, people are afraid to talk about it. Every single time I say to students in a classroom, okay, thank you for coming to my lecture. Does anybody have any questions? Silence. Crickets in the room. Until one brave soul goes, um, I have a question about... And so then I get, I have to you know, guide them through. But I'll never be out of work because we don't talk about it enough. We don't see disabled people as sexual. We don't see them as people, really. If we, if we, if we were honest about how we viewed otherness in our, in our society, we don't view a lot of people as people. Kind of bouncing off of that, that people... Harv is waving to keep the lights on. Amazing. Keep the, it in. Keep it in. Too funny. <laughs> the studio here, our lights turn off sometimes if we don't move obnoxiously. <laughs> You've talked about how sex with someone with a disability requires more communication. As you say, I like this phrase a lot, the storyboarding, storyboarding your sex. Yep. And that, to me, kind of brought up a piece about how in culture we kind of assume sex is going to be this kind of automatic thing that, you know, we kind of romanticize it as involving not much communication, even yeah. though all of the actual advice is communicate with your partner. Yeah. You know, like, I was wondering if you wanted to touch on that a bit. Like, why is communication so weird for us when we actually have to storyboard sex? Why is that weird for people? It's weird because it's been romanticized by TV. Like, look at any Fifty Shades of Gay trailer. Look at any romantic comedy trailer in the last, like, ever. Look at any, like, TV show about romance. You're just supposed to know. Talking about sex isn't sexy. Having the sex is sexy. See, but when you start having to, you're forced to make the talking intimate or fun or whatever it is you're doing. It becomes sexy when you start laying it out. And that, like that's, sometimes I don't want to story about my sex either. I just want to do it. But it's I have to. Otherwise, I'm going to get hurt them or they're going to hurt me or we're going to hurt each other. So you have to. Disability forces you to look at that in a different way. From what I've seen of your social media presences and stuff, you <laughs> love making things sexy. You love taking things that might people might not assume to be sexy and making them sexy. I like making things uncomfortably sexy. Yes, that uh, is probably a, the best way to describe it. Yeah. I was a little bit like in the back of my mind because there are so many pictures of you online where you're just staring <laughs> down the camera and you're shirtless. I was like half like wondering like, is he gonna show up shirtless in the winter? Like, is this Andrew's deal? Yeah. Uh, in a harness, being like, hey, let's talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah. Rocks up to the, the speaking engagement like, hello. Hey, let's do it. I've done that in, at speaking engagements, so coming in, come in harnesses and talk in a harness to show people that it's like part of it's a joke, but part of it's also like, look, 
like especially in queer male spaces, like leather and the, the in the leather community, it's perceived as sexy to wear a harness and to be that's a whole subculture of being queer for queer men especially. Um, so when I did it, it was me asserting, like, "Look, I can do it just like I can do it just like you can do. Look, I can wear leather and be attractive." And now do you see me as something worth considering giving me a number and asking like to go mess around later by wearing this? Do you see that I can have sexual value too? Right. Let's talk about queerness and queer spaces for a second. I'm then. so ready. I'm so ready. What is it like navigating queer spaces? Because the queer community, we're so into thinking that we're just so inclusive. We're so great. Nope. 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 We're going to drop the mic right now. Like, unfortunately, we're not. For and for me, as a queer disabled man, the images I see of other queer men are queer white men who are muscular and who are super down to have sex all the time. No, that's hot, okay? I'm not going to pretend like I don't get off to that. But it's really wrong when that's the only image you're fed. But our community is fractured because we don't want to admit that just because you're gay or queer doesn't mean you also can't be super privileged and super ignorant about your own privilege. What about internet? Has it made it better to connect with people? You're shaking your head. They're terrible. They're terrible, aren't they? It's terrible because when you're behind a keyboard, you can say things like, hey, does your dick work? Hey, can you get an erection? Sorry, I don't think I can fuck the wheelchair guy. I don't do wheelchairs. Like You can say stuff like that in, with anonymity because I'm not going to, I can't see you to your face. If a queer man who had these fears was sitting across from me, he would never, ever say that. But because he's behind a keyboard, that's why you can say to somebody on Grindr, on Scruff, or on these apps, oh, you're Asian? Sorry, we can't. When you would never, ever say that to their eyeballs, you'd never say it because it's rude. And you would get punched, or at least if you said if you said that, and I was around, I would I would yeah, swoop in. Yeah, there would be some serious. I would run you over. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Gabby. I am from Toronto. I was recently at a concert with one of my work friends. This couple came up to us. We were talking about getting into a cab, and it seemed like a regular conversation. But no, he turned to me in front of his girlfriend and asked, like, do you get horny? And my colleague looked at me and was like, oh my God, you told me that people ask you these kinds of questions, but I just never believed you. You know, people are really curious about this. You know, he kept saying, well, you're a beautiful girl, you're a beautiful girl, which again was also really weird and inappropriate because if he didn't think I was beautiful, would he just not care that, you know, people with disabilities want to have sexual lives? Before we get back to our conversation with Andrew, I wanted to share a bit of my conversation with Christine Selinger. She's an educator about sex and disability and currently works for the Abilities Expo. Cool fact, she's also a world champion paracanoist. I hopped on Skype to chat with her about all things sex and disability. What are some misconceptions that people have about sex and disability? In general, people with disabilities uh, tend to be viewed as asexual. That's kind of the image of disability that our society has, um, is people that are dependent, people that are um, unable to do things for themselves, and therefore, how can they be sexual beings? But the truth is that we are independent creatures (laughs) who live very fulfilling lives, including very fulfilling sex lives. 
Um, and so definitely a misconception about disability is, is basically that we don't date and we don't have sex. <laughs> Do people ever assume that that someone's going to have a caretaker when they want to have a sexual encounter with them. And they're like, do you need help to do this kind of thing? <laughs> it's more people assume that your partner or your yeah. date is your caretaker. Right. Um, yeah. Or we actually use attendant services now more than anything. Cause care is one of those subjective things. People don't have to care to look after you, right. um, but uh, that's a big misconception. And that comes down to even things like, in buying tickets for a concert or a sports sporting event, things like that, you often are awarded, if you need accessible seating, you're often awarded uh, an accessible seat and a companion seat or right. an attendant seat. And so if I'm going with my husband, he's in a seat like marked with attendant on the side or something. And it's he's not, he's my husband. Um, and so the, there's a lot of things that play into that, but certainly that's a misconception. Um, so in your work, you mention AIDS and toys. How can these come into play um, in the sex life of a person with a disability? I always talk about as a person with a disability, there are things I rely on uh, for my independence and, and for my everyday life. Things like I use a wheelchair to get around. I use hand gears in my car. Um, and there's other things that I, I kind of adapt the world around me and I adapt myself to fit in. And I don't think we need to limit ourselves when it comes to sex. Some of the most creative people sexually are people with disabilities. Kind of because you have to. Because you come across something that, you, that you're wanting to accomplish but you're struggling with in any way. And you find a way to make that better. And, and so they do the same thing in the bedroom. For example, if you have really limited sensation somewhere, um, you can use something like a, like a vibrator with a really intense vibe to it or uh, fabrics that have different textures to be able to drive pleasure from a spot that may not have a lot of sensation. There's rings that you can use that go around the base of a penis that can help it to stay erect. Things like lubricant. So for women with spinal cord injuries, um, they often have trouble with lubrication. And so you might need to introduce an external lubricant. Vibrators that you, you don't have to hold that have like suction cups or that you can... Um, like tie onto a pillow or that have bigger handholds or you can tie around an arm so you don't have to hold it um, and they don't have to be thought of in that kind of taboo sex toy way, mm -hmm. but more as aids rather than sex toys. If sex toys is your jam too, then go wild and have some fun with it. Sex is fun. It should be fun for everyone involved in it. And so with the change in your body, it's an, it's an opportunity to reinvigorate your sex life um, and, and to try some new things. Now, again, I'm talking about if you've encountered disability later in life, um, but what worked before may not work. So for a lot of people, like erogenous zones change. Right. Erogenous meaning like sensitive and pleasurable? Exactly. Yeah. The places that turn you on. Great. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I knew one gentleman who found his ears to be a very erogenous zone um, after sustaining a sea level spinal cord injury and so trying to see it as an opportunity rather than a challenge if we look at sex ed in schools how good of a job does it do in covering sex and disability often people with disabilities are taken out of classrooms for the sex ed topic mm. um, so students with disabilities are actually 
much more likely to just miss that in the curriculum um, because in a lot of schools, classrooms, programs, the children with disabilities, um, students with disabilities, uh, actually just aren't given sex ed at all, ever. <laughs> I didn't think about that, that it's because I remember at my school, it was so tied into gym, you know, <laughs> so that's gosh, that's awful. <laughs> it's actually like a startling statistic, which I don't know off the top of my head. Um <laughs> But it's well over half of students with disabilities graduate without taking a day of sex ed in their life. Mm. The people with disabilities actually need sex ed in the first place. Um, But beyond that, trying to keep conversations about sex ed inclusive, and that means inclusive of everyone. So inclusive of those who have sex in different ways, people who are asexual, people who choose not to have sex, people who choose not to have sex before marriage those who choose to have a lot of sex, Uh, people who are straight, people who are gay, people who are fetishists, people who are not. It's it's a matter of having open conversation because we we should all be a part of that. It's part of our health. So as to not give the impression to the students with disabilities that they're not part of the conversation, but also to make sure that everyone knows that people with disabilities are still part of the conversation. Hi, my name is Andrea Lausel. I run a channel on YouTube where I talk about disability extensively and specifically the type of disability I have, which is spina bifida. I think society can help change these misconceptions by listening to disabled voices. There's so many YouTube channels, there's so many blogs out there that are written by disabled voices. When I make my videos on sex and disability, the majority of my comments are actually quite positive. A lot are from younger viewers who are disabled, and then I have a good amount that are older. They're so thankful for the resources and the education that I'm giving because they never had that. As for negative comments, the ones I do tend to be people that in general are upset that sex education is out there. They think that it's inappropriate, especially if younger people view it, but young people also deserve to learn about safe sex. And young people are also going to meet disabled peers who they may want to have sex with, so they should be able to learn all the ranges of how to have sex. Andrew, we have been chatting for such a short period and you have really spun my world. Wow. Uh, Because a lot of stuff which we do, we are not even thinking what we are doing and what kind of impact that is having on the other person. Yeah. So when people are trying to be polite to you, what is that politeness and how does it feel? Is it feel good? Does it feel terrible? That's a super loaded question. Um... People can be really ableist when they're trying to be polite to a disabled person, so they'll sometimes bend down to talk to you if you're a wheelchair user. They'll touch your wheelchair without consent. They'll say things like, hi, how are you today? And really slow, weird, like, <laughs> how, what are you up to today? And you're just like, oh, I'm just doing my, I'm just living my life. Like, hey, what's up with you? Um, we need to realize in our society that we're, all of us are a little bit racist. All of us are a little bit ableist. All of us are a little bit prejudiced in all the ways. And if we start admitting that and owning up to the fact that sometimes we can make mistakes and we have we can say the wrong thing, it's okay if you just make the mistake and never do, like try really hard and never do it again. And I'm not afraid if if you did that. Like one of the sexiest things somebody could ever say to me, like, say to me in a club or in in a romantic relationship is like, "Hey, so 
so I see you have a disability if it's visible or if it's an invisible disability they could say like hey I noticed you mentioned that you have this disability um I think you're kind of cute I have no idea about your disability but can we go over there and talk about it like then my pants will be off and I'm like let's go let's go have a discussion like it's just there's ways to admit that you don't know anything and I think admitting that we don't know a lot about the lived experience around disability is the first step to build a knowledge base. You retweeted a while ago an article about the sexual harassment discussion, and but meet, with yeah. with sex and disability as well. Is that like a is that conversation happening? Nope, it should be. I can't count the number of times people have said to me like, "Hey, I would totally fuck you because you can't get away." What? Oh yeah, all the time. That's terrifying. Seriously? Yeah. And you're supposed to laugh at it because it's supposed yeah. to be a joke. But really, when you look at it, it's totally, like, rape culture. Like, Yeah, yeah like, your joke is really creepy. If we're talking about consent and disability, too, and sex, by me saying yes to you and giving you permission to have sex with me or do something intimate with me, I am letting you into a world that's a big deal. It's a privilege for anybody of difference to say, yes, come into my bedroom, yes. Come into this experience. Yes, let me show you this. I'm letting you into a world that you really don't have a right to comment on. You just have to sit and observe. Mm -hmm. This is the part of the discussion where we talk about what you do next if you're someone who's found yourself asking our question. I don't think the question's dumb. I don't think the person asking it's dumb either. Hmm. I think the structures we build around it are problematic. So we must dismantle the structures as opposed to telling people to stop asking these questions. Yeah, dismantle the structure, and by doing that, it's reframing the question. So if the question is, can you have sex? Yeah. Don't ask me that. Don't. Number one. Number two is, if you say, hey, can you have sex? I immediately have to jump on the defensive. Well, of course! Makes me feel like I have to defend my right as a person right away, as a sexual being right away. But if you say... How does sex and disability feel for you? You've opened the door for me to give you a plethora of answers that that tap into the emotionality of what I'm what it really is like. And that's what you should be looking at. Not not can you, not simply the mechanics. The internal feelings about all all of that is what you should be focusing on. But it's, it depends how you're asking it. Right. Like don't walk up to me on the street and ask me how sex feels. Hi, how does sex feel? <laughs> yeah, like, hi, my name is X. I noticed you over there at the bar. I noticed you don't. I noticed you may have a disability, or you mentioned earlier that you have a non-visible disability. I am ignorant and know nothing about that. Would you mind sharing that with me? And then I, as a disabled person, can say, you know what? Just want to have my drink and hang out with my friends, or just want to watch this Netflix show and be left in peace. Thanks. I can say like, nope, not today. But if I wanted to, I could say, yeah, I wouldn't mind having a drink with you and talking about that. No problem. Is context a big piece as well? For sure. It's going to go blue. Okay. If I want to fuck you, then I totally will answer your question because it's like if I answer your question, maybe I'll get laid. Like, so context is totally a part of it. It is. And I think you have to think as a non-disabled person, when I become disabled like they are, not if, when. When I am that person and I'm on the other side of that and somebody says an able, somebody walks up to me on the street and says an ableist thing, when it happens to you, will you want to be treated like that? No. So then don't treat me like that now. Well, 
another educational moment for me. Thank you, Andrew. It was very enlightening. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you both. Thank you so much for coming. It was so, it's just, it was fun. I could talk for another like two hours. I'm so glad. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Anywhere else? Uh, social media, they can go to Twitter or Facebook, Andrew Gerza. Um, the Disability After Dark podcast Facebook page is, is Facebook slash Disability After Dark. My Twitter is Andrew Gerza. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. Um, my website's andrewgerza.com. Hire me to do, to do all the things. Uh, yeah, basically type in Andrew Gerza and you'll find me. And his Twitter is hilarious. I recommend right ten though, out of ten. I mean, <laughs> He's like, you're right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue here. Yeah, correct. <laughs> I'm Harvinder Vadva. And I'm Elena Hudgens Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. Thank you to our guests Andrew Gerza and Christine Selinger. We also had voice notes from Andrea Lausel and Gabby. As usual, there's a fabulous webcomic to go along with this episode at iqpodcast.com. It was illustrated by Jaden. You can find them at Jadenboy, J-D-Y-N-B-O-I, on Instagram. Follow us on all the socials at IQ underscore podcast and talk to us. We want to hear from you. The sonic superstars behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Aaron Garrett, Cindy Long, and myself. And thank you to our interns and associates, Nuha Khan, Pia Arnetta, Faria Ahmed, and Haley Krichman. We are supported by the Ryerson University Transmedia Zone. An inappropriate question is like meeting your crush's super cool significant other. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.